forget go west, the West moved east with USC and UCLA's pending jump to the Big Ten. What does that mean for the rest of college football, especially the ACC and members UVA and Virginia Tech? We'll break it all down this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 83 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, back from his world travels, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend? Good morning, Mike. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a little while, and, and obviously we have some heavy stuff to get into, but I, I can't get into this without asking you a little bit about your vacation, which I am most envious of. I, I got to follow along with some some pictures on, on Facebook and tweets. And uh, so obviously we could devote a whole episode, I imagine, to your travels. <laughs> but why don't you give us the quick recap and some of the highlights uh, so we can continue to live vicariously through you? <laughs> well, first of all, I can't thank my wife, Jill, enough for planning all this. She spent literally months, if not years, putting it all uh, together. But we started in Milan, Italy, and went from there to uh, Zurich, Switzerland, and then went out into the Swiss countryside and hiked the mountaintop and spent the night in an Airbnb barn where we slept on hay. Uh, and that's where we eventually learned that USC and UCLA were leaving the Pac-12. Uh, and then from there, we went on to uh, Munich. And then from there to Salzburg and Vienna, Austria. Uh, it was it was breathtaking. Uh, just the, the, the scenery, uh, the churches. Uh, we, we stood in front of Da Vinci's The Last Supper. <laughs> In, in Milan, and that's, uh, you know, one of the great works of art of our time, and stood in the stood in the room uh, in Salzburg where Kennedy met Khrushchev for the first time in, in 1961, the first year of Kennedy's presidency. Um, it was it was a mixture of, uh, of hiking and, and sightseeing, but I, I think the word that really comes to mind is breathtaking. So I, I, I almost hate to ask, did you see everything you wanted to see? I mean, you saw so much, and yet I know there, there's so much over there. Um, did you get everywhere? Yeah, we did, actually. And we, we had one day that was a washout <clears throat> because of the weather. Mm. But it, it, it turned out... That, that was fine. We needed a chill day. We were exhausted uh, from, <clears throat> from our day of, of hiking. And you know, we were walking 10, 12 miles a day. And uh, that's hard enough for an old man like me, let alone you know, a 10-year-old like Laura. And uh, Jill was fine. But maybe some days Laura and I struggled. No, that, that is a super credit to Jill that you were able to um, see as much as you did. And, and obviously you guys were well organized. And um, like I said, the pictures looked amazing. I'm not going to move on until I ask you this. <laughs> <laughs> I know two where this three, is going. Two or three of your favorite things you ate during your travels. The chocolate gelato in Milan at a place called Gelato Forever was it was amazing. We just sat underneath this umbrella outside the park. Um, and it was just, just amazing. And it, it's, 
it's really interesting, Mike. You, 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 we had a wonderful Italian meal. I had uh, linguine and white clam sauce mm. in Munich. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> who, who knew, right? Uh, and um, had, some, had some cool German, German brats <clears throat> in Switzerland. Uh, so you, you can get all kinds of food pretty much uh, anywhere you go. Uh, but those were kind of the, the culinary highlights. Oh, that sounds good. And it makes sense. I mean, th- there's a, a good German restaurant here not far from Charlottesville. There's a really good Italian place downtown here. So um, w- we're a lot farther from Italy here th- than you were in either <laughs> of those countries. So it makes sense that there's some uh, share there uh, on, on the food front. And uh, very jealous, but happy to have you back. Glad you guys had a great time. David, while you were gone and, and to to steal a line from the musical Hamilton, uh, the world turned upside down. Sure did. <laughs> At least the college football world, that is. The, the Big Ten, as we referenced, shattered the alliance by pilfering uh, USC and UCLA from the Pac-12, uh, taking the LA television market. That change goes into effect for 2024. Uh, the move just further widened that gap, right, between the mm-hmm. SEC, the Big Ten, and, and everybody else. So big picture, David, uh, what's what's next? W- what is the vision here for the SEC, for the Big Ten? Because they're the ones, you know, with their partners, ESPN and Fox uh, on the TV side, they're the ones driving the bus now. They most certainly are, Mike. And since we have not heard from either Greg Sankey or Kevin Warren, the respective commissioners, about what their long-term vision is not only for their respective leagues, but for college athletics and specifically college football, we really don't know. I mean, are they interested in further expansion? I think if Notre Dame came knocking on the door, we all know the answer to that. But beyond Notre Dame, are they interested in anyone? Do they really want to get bigger? Would it behoove them financially to get bigger? And what about the postseason. Do they still envision an all-inclusive college football playoff? Or might they take their proverbial ball and go play among themselves with the SEC and the Big Ten? Those are the great unknowns right now, and those are questions that are being asked in ACC circles. You frame it really well, and I think, to me, it sort of starts with that two-pronged question of what is their future vision in terms of do they want two super conferences, in which case there's value in, in adding other schools because you're furthering that goal, right? If you're going to have two super conferences, you want to include all the big brands and then essentially kill off, <laughs> you hate to say it, but kill off the rest. If that's their vision, further expansion makes sense. If they are amenable to the idea of a college football playoff that includes, and I'm going to say it, the lesser leagues, right? That's mm-hmm. what they'll be. The, the SEC and the Big Ten, What's interesting to me now is you had this proposal not that long ago with automatic qualifiers and all of that to make the college football playoff. Right now, if you're the SEC and the Big Ten, I'm not sure what impetus you have to guarantee anybody a a spot in the playoff, right? right? If you just say, we're going to have the top eight or the top 12, you got to figure the SEC and the Big Ten, as things are currently configured, would dominate that selection. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's hindsight, of course, but David... And now that we know the way things turned out, did the alliance really backfire? And would the ACC uh, and the Pac-12, not the Big Ten, have been better off uh, working and, and accepting the expanded football playoff when it was proposed? It certainly appears that way, Mike. And 
you know, Jim Phillips was the point man <clears throat> of the, the ACC and really the Alliance's pushback on starting the 12-team CFP in 2024. And they had their reasons, and some of them were quite valid. There was a lot going on in college athletics. They wanted to get NIL and the transfer portal and NCAA restructuring. They wanted to put all that to bed before addressing the playoff. Not only that, Jim Phillips especially was representing his constituents. Who was among the most vocal uh, in pushing back against the CFP expansion? Dabo Sweeney, Clemson's coach. So, you know, this is not all on Jim Phillips, but no doubt if the CFP model had been rubber stamped, as so many of us believed it was going to be, and if it was going to take effect in 2024, and those contracts were signed right now, Mike, we wouldn't be doing this podcast about potential realignment. I'm sure we'd have another topic, but you're absolutely right. It, um, it backfired spectacularly. I think that's fair to say. I think part of it, and I wrote about this in my column last week, I think part of it, David, and and we were sort of criticized at the time, right? They held that press conference and we got on with the three commissioners and and they were asked repeatedly, why is there no signed document? Why are there no parameters? Why is this not a binding alliance? And, And they gave us all the cliches, right? Three gentlemen in a room. We looked each other in the eye. We shook hands. Uh, David, that to me is the part that fell apart here is that you had three guys who agreed this is where we're going. And one of them who said, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I have something better out there. Um, was that a mistake in the Alliance not to, to codify that? Or would, would the Alliance have not existed if Jim Phillips uh, or George Klavkov had pushed for some kind of signed agreement? It probably wouldn't have existed. Um, but you talk about ruthless now. What, what Kevin Warren did and really what Greg Sankey did a year ago in taking Texas and Oklahoma from from the Big 12. And that's that's the part of this that I think is is still unsettling to some is, you know, he, here we have these power five commissioners, four of whom now are new on the job that, you know, now that Bob Bowlesby is out at the Big 12 and Brett Yormark is is in, you have four of the five um, commissioners who are within two years of accepting their, their positions. Jim Phillips is number two in seniority. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Right? Isn't that crazy? Uh, among power five commissioners. So, and, and there's already mistrust in the room. So that's, you know, that can be difficult to overcome, but somehow they're going to have to figure that out uh, and chart the course forward. Yeah, it's it's it's, fa- it's a fascinating time. I'm curious if there wasn't a measure of because G- Greg Sankey had put a lot of time and effort into that expansion plan. Yes, it, I wonder if there wasn't a, a measure of, and maybe I'm being juvenile about this, but of of payback or revenge. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, hey, we put this plan out. We had a plan to work together. You told us no, so this is what happens. This is what you get for not. Um, playing ball with our plan. It, it's hard to imagine that that's not at least some of a factor here in, in all of this. Well, it, it, it's not only Sankey who was angry. Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director, like he, he came out, there he was at ACC meetings this spring in Florida. And he comes out of the final session 
and huddles with a group of us knotheads outside the room before he, he gets on the private jet back to South Bend. And somebody in the group, I don't know if it was Andy Staples, maybe from The Athletic or our buddy David Hale from, from ESPN, somebody asked him how frustrating was it to put all that time and energy in crafting the 12-team model. And by the way, Notre Dame making compromises and uh, agreeing that independents would not be eligible for a first-round buy. Mm-hmm. How frustrating was it to have that work just upended right out of the gate? And he just very tersely looked and said, you have no idea. Yeah. So there are a lot of hurt feelings <laughs> uh, a lot of rubbed the wrong way, a lot of, um, and you mentioned the concessions that, that Notre Dame made. And that brings us to the Notre Dame question, right? Because mm-hmm. the, most people, when we talk about what's next, they want to wait to see what Notre Dame's going to do. Now, the exactly. vibe we kind of get is that Notre Dame can wait, right? They're not in a huge rush. Um, their TV contract, I believe, comes up in, in 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, with NBC, yes. Right. And and they have the opportunity to stay independent and, and cash in that way. Uh, certainly, the Big Ten would love to have them. They could cash in that way. Uh, the ACC would love to have them. I don't know that that makes sense for the Irish. Um, and they wouldn't cash in in that regard, but they, they might bring stability. So what do we make of Notre Dame? Does everybody have to wait and see what the Irish do? Or, or will we see other steps here, uh, regardless of, of the Irish announcing or not announcing any intentions? I don't think anybody has to wait on Notre Dame, Mike, but I believe they will. And that's why my sense is from, from talking to people is that we're in a pause right now where nothing is imminent unless Notre Dame tries to escape the ACC and get to either the Big Ten or or the SEC. You know, Sankey and Swarbrick spent a lot of time together crafting that CFP model. And, you know, Swarbrick also, when he came out of those meetings down in Amelia Island, you know, described this two solar system model, two gravitational pulls of the SEC and the Big Ten, and everybody has to figure out how to be aligned with one or the other. That's an ACC athletic director saying that at the ACC spring meetings that everybody's trying to figure out how to be aligned with two other conferences. Uh, it was it was very stark. Yeah, it's startling in in how honest and blunt he was, right? right? Um, because. It, if nothing else, you're supposed to come into those meetings singing Kumbaya yes. just, just for the optics of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You just spend a couple of days together in a beautiful place. You all come out and say nice things about each other and, and you don't start stabbing each other in the back for another you know day or two, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as is the way in college athletics. But yeah, I mean, it, it's understandable why he came out with, with the sharp knives and um, maybe in that regard, not surprising that we had such another seismic event. You mentioned the ACC. What is the future of the ACC? Because not that long ago, uh, you know, we had these documentaries on on the ACC network and everybody was in love with the ACC and its glorious past and its future secured by its grant of rights and, and, and the binding TV money there. Uh, things don't look so, so cheery right now. What is the future of the ACC? Very uncertain. Um, you mentioned the, the, the binding grant of rights. And that runs for another 14 years, Mike. <laughs> And that is large, large money on top of an exit fee that would run north of $100 million. So 
I don't know that anyone, even if they wanted to, could leave the ACC right now. I just think it, 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 if that grant of rights is binding, now somebody can can challenge it in court, no, no question. But if it was ruled to be binding, I can't see anyone uh, leaving the conference. Um, but, you know, lawyers get paid big money for a reason. Here's my question when it comes to the grant of rights. And, and just to, to briefly explain it, it essentially says that each member school in the ACC, uh, their television rights belong to the conference for the next 14 years. So if you were to leave, uh, ostensibly the ACC would maintain the rights to your, your television product. You'd mm-hmm. either have to buy out the ACC, which would be, I imagine, unbelievably costly, uh, or the ACC could air your games if they <laughs> thought it was profitable, uh, or they could bury your your products for 14 years. And yeah. th- those are the reasons that when we talk about grant of rights, it sounds um, insurmountable. David, here's my question when it comes to that. You can't pay money to a conference that doesn't exist. True. So if the SEC and the Big Ten want to make moves, they want to expand, they find that the grant of rights is not something they can defeat in court, wouldn't the logical step be to crush the ACC and free up all of its members to, to go where they want? I guess it's possible. Um, but would the, you know, would the last few holdouts you know, stick around and say, you know, show me the money? Uh, I, I don't know how that would work. Uh, and it would it would take an awful lot of cooperation among schools and conferences to do so. And I don't see a lot of cooperation yeah. in college athletics. Yeah, I'll tell you what r- could drive r- r- what, right what could drive now. cooperation though is Money. fear, right? Oh, fear okay. of extinction. Yeah, yeah. money side of it. Um, if you're worried that. You're going to be one. I've made this analogy so many times in the last week and a half going on radio shows. It feels a lot like the NCAA tournament selection. And you don't want to be a school who's in the first four out, right? You don't want your bubble to burst and find out you're not part of, of the future here. Um, it's why I wonder if my understanding of, of the grant of rights is correct. It becomes invalidated if eight teams were to leave the ACC. You know, the- I, I, Mike, I'm not sure about that. I, it's not in the document that much. I can, I've read that I have the document and that particular clause I do not see. Now, whether that's in the bylaws is another story, but I'm not sure that that's correct. So you think four teams could, could hold on and, and say, we're the ACC. Um, To me, that feels like it could be challenged in court to say, well, we signed an agreement with 16 schools and 12 of them are gone or, or yeah. nine of them are gone. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating part of things. And you know, the grant of rights was designed for exactly this, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was Captain America's shield uh, to protect the ACC when everything else is uh, for lack of a better term, going to hell in a handbasket. Uh, mm-hmm. It will be interesting to see if it's, uh, if it's made of vibranium, if, if it holds up here. My- and, and Mike, an, an interesting point about that, and, and, and I wish I'd mentioned this uh, w- w- when I wrote, is that I think it's telling that neither Oklahoma nor mm-hmm. Texas, as of yet, has challenged the Big 12's grant of rights, which only goes through 25. So we're only talking three years. Mm-hmm. But it, neither it, Oklahoma nor Texas is, is making noise about trying to get to the SEC early. Right. So if the if three years 
in the Big 12 with the grant of rights, if Oklahoma and Texas view that as punitive, imagine what 14 years in the ACC would be. Yeah, and I think the timing of, of USC and UCLA when it you know their TV deals were up, right? I think it tells you that at least the initial look through <laughs> by these universities' attorneys is that these grant of right agreements are, are pretty infallible uh, yeah. because you wouldn't leave that money on the table, right? I think we've all learned that there's no goodwill here. <laughs> you, oh. you wouldn't leave that money on the table for the Big 12 if you're Oklahoma and Texas to be nice about things. That's not the way college athletics works. Uh, David, in the ACC, what members could be targets of the Big Ten, the SEC? Who, who fits where? And, and is it worth it? Because Notre Dame, we know, if you add Notre Dame, you add value. You add money. Some mm-hmm. of these other schools, it's a fair question to say, does adding a few more mouths to feed, does all that Correct. do divvy up your, your money further? Do they add value? So what do you see on that front? That Mike, that's the, the million-dollar question that accountant, actually the $100 million question that accountants and TV executives have got to be parsing because you look at the SEC and Big Ten, and once they once their new schools come in and get uh, in, entrenched in in their TV deals, those schools are going to be pushing one hundred million dollar annual distributions to their schools. The ACC's last year was about thirty six just to give you some some context there. So for a school to keep everyone's piece of the pie whole, that school has to be worth $100 million every single year. Do you bring $100 million of value to our league? Other than Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Texas, USC, UCLA, Notre Dame? Sure, I get it. But Clemson, Florida State, Miami, UVA, North Carolina, do they do they move the needle that much? I I have doubts. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think on the money front, it doesn't make sense. Where it may make sense, as I mentioned, is yes. If the vision is two super conferences, um, I think somebody wants North Carolina's brand. I think somebody wants Clemson's brand. Um, that's where it makes sense to target those programs in terms of needing them. I think that's the way we should maybe frame it. The yeah. SEC and the Big Ten, they don't need the money of adding any of these teams because it may end up costing them, but they, they may need the brands if their hope is to essentially circumvent uh, and take over college football. Uh, what, what options are there for the ACC in the short term to, because it's, it's part of it is surviving and part of mm-hmm. it is surviving in a way that you're still viable, right? Like that there's enough money in your conference that your schools aren't falling behind and, and becoming an afterthought. Can they partner? Can they make another alliance <laughs> with, with the Pac-12 or what's left of the Big 12? Can the ACC expand itself? You know, you and I went through West Virginia, Cincinnati, Central Florida. Did any of those schools make sense? And at the time, it was sort of a meh, not sure they moved the needle. Um now, do, do they maybe move the needle because there's a little more strength in numbers? What, what could be a short-term move for Jim Phillips? I don't know that expansion would move the, the needle. Clearly, West Virginia, geographically, competitively, rivalry-wise with Virginia Tech and Pitt and BC and Syracuse, West, West Virginia would, would be a fit. But no one I talk to in the league believes that the Mountaineers would move the needle financially. And if if that's the case, then I'm not sure why you do it. Um, 
first of all, I think I, th- I think we also need to credit the ACC that despite the revenue gap, the league continues to thrive competitively. Yes, the conference missed the college football playoff for the first time this past season, but the Big Ten's missed it multiple times. And of course, the Pac-12 and Big 12, you know, the only conference with more college football playoff bids than the ACC is the SEC. And the ACC had two teams in the Final Four, and Virginia, Duke, and Carolina have, have won national championships of late in men's basketball. And Olympic sports continue to thrive. ACC won seven natties in 21-22, as many as any league in, in, in the country. But I think the valid question is, at what point does the revenue gap become so big, so wide, that the wanderlust of a few members just becomes, you know, untenable? I think you're right. And I think that brings us neatly to this week's new question. Thank you, Mike. Uh, we've never really done a fill in the blank before. So let's go ahead and start now. <laughs> okay. One word, one word fill in the blank. In five years, the ACC will be blank. David, let's start with you. Guys, I'm going to go off the board long shot here. The ACC will be intact as as we know it. In five years, yes, I, I, I believe the grant of rights will hold that long. If you'd ask me in 10 or 15 years, my answer might be different. But I believe in five years, the ACC will be intact as we know it. Thank you, David. Mike? Well, since limping along would, would be two words... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use a hyphen and cheat. I'm going to say basketball only. Oh, I, I think there's a, a, a cachet and a brand with ACC basketball um, that maybe their future, maybe their path is kind of like what we saw with the Big East. Big East. Um, now, certainly ACC football more successful than Big East football was. But in five years, I'm thinking the ACC will be at least charting a course that is basketball only, basketball forward. Um Maybe uh, maybe some of your schools are still playing football, but you're outside of the, the two super conference model. Um, so in five years, I think Duke Carolina hopefully remains intact. Virginia, Virginia Tech remain intact. But it's it's a basketball only um, kind of a situation. And um, I think that may be the path for the ACC to survive. And I think that <laughs> there is such a rich basketball tradition there. I think people want to see it stay alive. And I think some of those people re- reside at UVA and, and, and Virginia Tech. And so, David, that brings us to the question of what's next for, for the schools we cover for, for UVA, for Tech. Uh, do they fit in with either of these big conferences if we go the super conference route? Well, I, culturally, Mike, I don't think it's any surprise to, to anyone that I would say that Virginia Tech fits with the football first mantra of the SEC. And I think if you polled Hokies faithful, man, it would be a landslide if you asked them, what league do, do you want to compete in? And I, I think the SEC would be the overwhelming choice to which I might caution, be careful what you wish for, because that's pretty ruthless right. football and um, not not sure you want to relegate yourself uh, there. Mississippi State, South Carolina kind of standing. Yeah, e- yeah. exactly. Um, and in UVA, as a member of the American Association of Universities, uh, which every member of the Big Ten uh, is, except for Nebraska, you know, 
UVA would 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 certainly make sense uh, in, in the Big Ten. Um, but I again, I'm not sure those invitations are uh, anywhere near uh, as imminent as some would lead you to believe. Yeah, it certainly feels like we're not about to, you know, the day the news broke, and again, you were <laughs> you were off in Europe sleeping in, in the hay in the barn there. Um, <laughs> Literally. The, the, the day the news broke, it, it kind of felt like we might wake up the next morning yeah. with six or eight more teams on the move. And I, I think the vibe you and I both get, and I think a lot of people get now, is that, that is, there's a wave of of realignment coming right now. There aren't going to be a ton of schools moving, expanding, jumping. Um Honestly, if there is expansion and, and change, it feels like it may be with some of these lesser leagues who are, who are trying to find a way to remain viable. Uh, long term, do we see a scenario where UVA and Tech could end up competing in different leagues? You, you said culturally, the Hokies fit better in the SEC, the Who's better in the Big Ten. So uh, do we envision a scenario where UVA and Virginia Tech um, might be back to what they were uh, not that long ago, playing in different conferences? I certainly think it's possible. Um yeah, my my answer to our, our, our fill in the blank was in five years. I, I I think the ACC will be intact. But again, if you pr- project out, could we see Virginia and Virginia Tech in different conferences? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you'd asked me twenty years ago, do I foresee Virginia and Virginia Tech being in the same conference? I'd have told you no, and of course would have been wrong. Now, we've come full circle, so you would have been possibly right again on the back end <laughs> of this debate. Um, it's such an interesting question, and, and it's it's a purely hypothetical. But, David, it, where do you think that UVA and the Big Ten or Virginia Tech and the SEC, where do they rank? As, if we go back to my analogy of, of, of the selection, NCAA tournament selection, um, you have to think that Clemson and, and Florida State w- would be ahead of the line. Uh, in front of tech for the SEC. I would imagine North Carolina is ahead of the line for the Big Ten, ahead of UVA. Um, Where do you think they fall, the Virginia schools, in the pecking order in terms of being attractive if a conference was expanding? That's a great question. And to me, the pecking order would go somewhere somewhere along these lines, Mike. Notre Dame one, North Carolina two. I believe Carolina is the ninth most populous state in the country, and neither the Big Ten nor the SEC has a presence there. It's the flagship institution. It's one of the most well-rounded athletic programs in the country. I think after that is UVA. I think ahead of, you know, if you're looking for for new places to plant your flag, I mean, the SEC is already in Florida. The SEC is already in South Carolina. Obviously, Virginia football pales to Florida State and Clemson in terms of brand power and in terms of interest and certainly in terms of success. But Virginia is attractive because of the state in in which we live and because neither conference uh, has a school here. Where do the Hokies fall in that peck? How far down the list do you get before you get to Blacksburg? You know, I don't see Virginia Tech in in the Big Ten, but it would be fascinating. You know, who would be more appealing to the SEC, Virginia Tech or North Carolina State? (laughs) Right? I mean, it's almost almost a coin flip. Well, and and if, again, we're playing the hypothetical game, but if the Big Ten grabbed North Carolina – might that push SEC to grab state 
mm-hmm. give itself a presence there as you're trying to compete. Um, you know, conversely, I suppose if the Big Ten grabbed UVA, might the SEC at some point get to tech uh, mm-hmm. to try to you know plant its flag there? It, it's such an interesting chess match. Um, obviously, the money and the TV deals drive drive so much of it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been I think <laughs> maybe stress inducing, anxiety filling for fans, but also a little fun to ponder. <laughs> where their school might fit if there's a massive shakeup. Yeah, and and Mike, I'll be honest. I hope there isn't a massive shakeup. Yeah. I don't think any of this is good for for, for college athletics. Uh, and I don't. And maybe I'm in the minority. Maybe it's just because I'm old and cranky and in the get off my lawn stage of life. <laughs> but I don't want college football to be an NFL knockoff. I don't want to have the AFC and the NFC playing in the Super Bowl. I get that on Sundays. I don't need that or want that on Saturdays. That's just me. And what I find interesting, and it may be just a blip that is forgotten in a minute, but from what I read from media out West, there's already some pushback from Olympic sport athletes at USC and UCLA about we're really not interested in cross-country travel for regular season competition in our conference. Mm -hmm. And all this talk about student-athlete welfare and mental health and missed class time, are you telling me that a conference with in four time zones is a good thing? right now is that good for athletes mental health and and their physical health with jet lag you know you'd have a hard time convincing me of that and in this age of athlete empowerment i know that the olympic sports aren't aren't driving revenue but those young men and women are going to have to be listened to by those in authority and i'm i'm fascinated to see how forceful they become with with their objections and what the administrative response to those is. Yeah, it, it's it's flies in the face of everything we hear about of yes. what's important, right? But I, I think, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I, I think you probably, I think it's largely a sham, right? I mean, I, I think <laughs> yeah. individually these athletic directors and presidents care about student athletes. I'm not saying that they're you know these horrible people, but the idea that the most important thing is student athlete welfare. I, I don't buy that. Right. I think the most important thing is money grabs. And then once you grab all that money, can you justify it by using that money to improve things for student athletes? Can you pay for more charter flights? Can you can you alleviate some of that? But the first thing you do is you go full Scrooge McDuck and you, you take a bath <laughs> in all your money. And then you decide, how can we help our student athletes it, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, I'm a Rutgers grad. Does it make sense for the Rutgers <laughs> right. field hockey team to be going across country to play conference? It, it just, it makes no sense in that regard. And, you know, I, I've said this on this show, I've said this forever. To me, the the sane future for college athletics is to effectively dump college football. <laughs> I, I know that makes no sense financially, but to let college football be its own thing. Mm-hmm. Let it pair up, conference up, league up, however it wants. Um, have some sort of, uh, you know, fee. You know, you're still college athletics. You, you pay money back uh, to your universities, but have football and take it out, and, and have the rest of your conferences go back to being 
logical, sane, regional conferences. Um, let's get back to the old Big East, to the ACC, to, to times where schools were playing the schools that they could bust to, right? It was, that was kind of how it all started. Oh, well, we can get to you pretty easily. We should play every year. Um, I understand we have the technology and the money to, to be nationwide. I don't know that we need to. I don't know that that makes sense. And um, to me, the best thing for college athletics, because I agree with you in, in terms of, I, I like the college model. I like that it's different from the pros. And um, I would love to see college athletics continue on the, the way it, it was. And I don't think there's a way to do that with football. The money's too big. It's too valuable. Um, you know, we know that in this country, that, that, that money drives everything. And, um, you know, we people talk all the time about how the two-party system in politics doesn't work. Well, there's too much money. <laughs> there's too much money to change it. There's too much money in college football to change that. So uh, to me, the dream scenario is all these other sports essentially pull out, do their own thing, pair back up into logical conferences and we let football run amok, right? It's it's Frankenstein's monster, and I, I don't know that there's any stopping it at this point. Well, and, and Mike, I think part of your vision is is going to going to happen. There is going to be a separate governance structure for college football, whether that's uh, within the NCAA's purview. I don't know. My hunch is no, it will not be. Uh, but even if it is, it, it's going to be separate. And I'll tell you what would nip a lot of this speculation, if not all of it, in in the bud. And I mentioned this to someone in the ACC earlier today. What the ACC needs at the kickoff is for someone in authority at a school such as Clemson, like Graham Neff, their AD, Dabo Sweeney, the head coach, to say, we're not interested in going anywhere. We like it right here, and this is our home. And this is what Dabo did in 2012 when there were just strong rumblings of Clemson bolting. He said, nope, we've got everything we need right here to win. And he was right. They went on to win two natties and participate in six college football playoffs. And Matt Hayes from the Saturday Down South website had a column this morning, or maybe it was yesterday, but I read it this morning. It called on Greg Sankey to take the bully pulpit at SEC Media Days and say, we are done expanding. We're not interested in a two-super conference world. And this is, this is how we intend to proceed moving forward with our 16 teams. I encourage Kevin Warren in the Big Ten to do the same. And let's go back to the negotiating table and get this college football playoff expanded and move on. That's all pie-in-the-sky stuff. But, man, it would be interesting if any number of those things happened. Yeah, and I think that would be a great settling influence with the exception of the fact that it's a lot of the rhetoric we heard from the Alliance. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know who could stand up and make that speech. Sankey. And I would walk, Sankey might be the only one because he's got no, no reason to do it. Right. Who'd <laughs> uh, be the only one who, if he said it, I'd say, okay, maybe it's true. Anyone else I'd say, okay, let's see what happens when the money comes calling. Uh, it, it, it will be very interesting um, how they proceed in their rhetoric. And then when we get, the advantage of hindsight, how that rhetoric matches what they do. Um, and it's where we started, David, right? We don't know what the SEC and Big Ten want in the big picture. If they have what they want now, I think that would be a good settling influence uh, on the sport. But if they're still kind of pondering, hey, 
maybe we want to go the super conference route. Probably no advantage to them to coming out and saying those things. It, it, it will be an interesting, interesting couple of weeks as these media days unfold. No doubt. No doubt. And uh, fascinating to see what what tack Jim Phillips takes in Charlotte and uh, and also to hear from, you know, his marquee coaches. Yeah. So, David, do you have any other um, worldly travels plans so, so we know when the next <laughs> seismic uh, change will come or, or you'll be? It's, 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 it's funny, Mike. We all have these moments in our lives where we remember where we were when X <laughs> happened, right? And I always go back to the night when he worked at the New York Times when Pete Thamel broke the news that Syracuse and Pittsburgh were leaving to go to the ACC. And I was in the maternity ward as our daughter was being born. And suffice to say, Mrs. Teal was not amused as I was texting and tweeting. <laughs> so basically, that night, and, and now I'll always remember USC and UCLA for happening when I was hiking in the Appenzell Mountains of Switzerland. Well, if nothing else, it means you're having an, an interesting life when yeah. you know these seismic events happen in, in our in our world of college sports, and they take a backseat to to what you're doing in the given day. That's a, a good sign, at least for for how you're spending your time. Well, we thank you for spending your time with us today and listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, back in the States, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time. Thank you.